Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm really excited to be joined today by Arthur Woods, who is the co-founder of Matheson and also the author of a really great book called Hiring for Diversity, The Guide to Building an Inclusive and Equitable Organization. And Arthur established the business Matheson because he wanted to envision a world where workforces equally represented society. So I think that's a, a great mission to go after as a diversity and inclusion practice as you know I run my own diversity and inclusion practice as well so that's something that that really resonated with me so um Arthur it's it's lovely to see you today thanks for joining me thank you for having me Toby it's lovely to see you too I appreciate you inviting me on so we've got loads to talk about today um looking at inclusivity in the labor market you know how employers are defining diversity and inclusion and setting goals and when bias is most commonly coming up in hiring and we got so much to get through but before we get into the the juicy content could you just introduce yourself a bit further and i suppose you know what what inspired you to set up matheson and and why is your business called matheson as well yeah thank you toby well um for me you know i I grew up in a single parent family, discovered halfway through college that I was gay. I was in the LGBTQ community and, you know, also found myself wondering how I would represent, you know, aspects of my identity, such as being in the, in the LGBTQ community in um, my professional career. And in one of my very first job interviews, I over, overheard um, an interviewer use a homophobic slur. And I, you know, found myself really shut down in that hiring process. And a, a, as a result, I, I didn't come out, you know, for a few years um, in my first job. And I just remember distinctively that feeling of, of being not safe, of, of not really, really being my full authentic self at work, and how um, honestly devastating that was and distracting. And I, you know, began to become very excited about um, how we can build environments that are inclusive, that represent society at all levels, and witness firsthand how much organizations were struggling with that. So my career has had this uh, nice ebb and flow of nonprofit uh, advocacy work and the pursuit of building uh, technology for humanity. And a few years ago, we had the opportunity to launch Matheson. It was named after um, Alan Turing. His middle name was Matheson. And Turing, I think, as many folks know, um, you know, was, was famous for helping crack the Enigma code in World War II. And yet, despite his enormous achievements, faced persecution at the end of his life, actually, for also being gay. And, you know, we are we I think like you, Toby, really believe in a, a world where what makes us each unique is not a weakness, but it's a strength. And we, we dream of a workforce that really equally represents the rich diversity of society at all levels. So that's really our mission at Matheson. That's brilliant. I mean, that's that's very much in alignment with my vision or mission because my clients often talk to me about diversity and what we tend to talk about more and more is actually representation and how representative the organization is of the customer base that it serves or the city in which it operates and draws its talent from. So uh, it's, it's a very useful thing. Um, so 
I mean, we've had a year of a lot of change going on in the labor market, and it's looking even more chaotic uh, than it than it did. So, what does the landscape resemble for for organizations trying to grow diversity? Do you think? Well, you know, Toby, what's so interesting about the moment we're in, and I, I think we can almost reevaluate this on a weekly basis because it feels like the world is just constantly changing right now so much. But you know, if we think about the events of the last two years, we've been in a global pandemic. I think. We've, we've witnessed firsthand in a much more visceral way the, the racial and uh, honestly socioeconomic inequities that have faced our world since, since day one. But we've been so, so brought so much closer to it than ever before. Um, diversity has never felt more urgent for most employers. Um, and yet now we're facing um, you know, a, a potential down economy, down market where um, in many cases, th- that diversity commitment and those diversity priorities are getting challenged by um, a lot of what's just happening um, in, in the broader world. Mm. And so it's felt like it, it's never been more urgent yet, um, in many cases, uh, more challenging. And so we really believe that um, there's no lack of intent. There's no lack of agreement around the why. But we're in this really exciting moment where employers uh, have to start thinking about how they, they go from intent to impact. Uh, and that's, I think, we're, we're in a moment now where we can, we can um, move from, you know, from, from conversation to action, right? Um, yeah. and, and leaders are ready for that. And I know you're seeing that in your consulting as well, right? Yeah, it's funny. I, I like how you put intentions to impact because when I first set up my consultancy company, one of my first engagements was to do a, a half-day workshop with the senior leadership team of a, a, a global travel company and their thing was um you know or their brief to me was you know how can we move from positive intentions to positive impact and that was actually the kickstart to a lot of the work that i've started to do and you know how i've kind of created my inclusive growth model as a result of that intention to impact which is really cool so i mean you know how how are employers traditionally defining diversity and setting goals? And then how do you think we can reframe this to be more inclusive of underrepresented communities that maybe are not on the radar? Mm. Thank you so much for asking that, Toby, because I, you know, it, it's it's a pretty fundamental building block of this, this work. You know, one of the, you know, most visceral insights from the research and the work that we did for, for our book was centered around the idea of how we fundamentally define diversity. And we found that a lot of leaders have looked at diversity through a very optical lens based on what they believe they can see and inferring, you know, a community that someone's in and oftentimes, you know, limiting diversity only to aspects of um, race and gender. And what we have seen more than ever is that there are so many different dimensions of diversity that are invisible um, and intersectional. So it's been wonderful. And, you know, thanks to your amazing leadership to ensure that the the disability and the neurodivergent communities are equally um, held in our definition. Older experienced workers, you know, refugees, immigrants, um, the formerly incarcerated community, many or many, you know, it, you know, groups that have systemically been left out of the equation. And in fact, many organizational policies have been written to leave them out of the equation. So we've we've we wrote about twelve different underrepresented job seeker communities in the book. And um, anytime I present the model or the the definition, um, one of the first things I call out is that this taxonomy will be expanded even more in the next 10 years. You know, 
I think we're going to see, you know, potentially socioeconomic diversity, religious diversity, so many different, you know, aspects brought to the equation. And to me, it's, it's, it's just a reminder that there is always another community to better understand. There's always another barrier to internalize and, and come to terms with. And as practitioners in this work, our awareness and adequacy will just constantly be expanding. We're sort of permanent students in the work. Yeah, it's it's continuous work, and uh, you know, diversity and inclusion is is not a project. It doesn't have a beginning and an end. It's a way of being. It's a way of successfully operating a business. Yeah. When it, I often just des- describe to my clients that diversity is a bit like this iceberg where you can see 10% of the iceberg above the waterline and those are our visible characteristics so it could be our ethnicity physical or visible disabilities and things like that but then there's so much that makes us different and unique that's hidden under the waterline and these could be more traditional aspects of diversity like uh, you know whether we're part of the LGBT community or even things like whether we're introverts or extroverts so many of my clients have said to me that they've noticed that it's the extroverts that are rising to the top of the organization mm-hmm. and that yeah. they're not creating those safe spaces for introverts to be able to to contribute and speak up either. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, we part of this, this the danger of us having this kind of professional archetype, which has been, you know, historically defined, you know, sort of the professional success has created a very homogenous, you know, persona of what it means to be successful in work, right? And that has largely been, I mean, it's been built around the extroverted white male, you know, straight, you know, sort of type A leader, right? And we've we've built that persona and society has reinforced it and Hollywood has reinforced it. And, and it's no surprise that most executives are white straight men. And it, it's it's a really wonderful time in the world where we're we're embracing uh, uniqueness and um, and diversity, and we're we're really sort of celebrating the fact that we we have to have representation in all aspects of work. And what it means to be a professional in the historic sense is now disrupted by hopefully a, a many different personas, some of which are introverts, right? And I think that's a wonderful thing for us to be bringing to the forefront here. So obviously you wrote the book, um, Hiring for Diversity, and you know we can't not talk about bias <laughs> within the, the hiring process. So where are you see bias most commonly coming up in the hiring process? And how do you think employers can meaningfully address this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that. If we think about the the number of steps and decision points throughout the hiring process, and we we even visually map it out, um, it becomes really clear all of a sudden that there are so many different decision points which involve gut, you know, intuition, and you know, essentially attributing value or not attributing value, right? And so we've written about the fact that now there are over 180 biases and growing. You know, there's a bias essentially for every single decision point. And we think about how subjective and potentially unstructured many of these decisions are. And one of, you know, a couple of the, the critical, um, you know, points that we found where, where bias can show up. One is around actually how we scope a job to begin with, how we define the role requirements. And one of the things that, that happens, we find quite often is we envision the perfect candidate, right? Again, this gets back to this persona. And we start to think of, well, the perfect candidate would have all these credentials and all these pre-vetted requirements and would come from, you know, the perfect school. And all of a sudden we realize we've layered in 
a number of requirements that may have nothing to do with someone's success on the job. But the, the, the way that we've layered these in, we've actually limited our pool to a quite homogenous community that we can recruit from. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is an area where, again, bias can show up because we're we're not sort of thinking holistically about lived experiences and diversity of someone's background that might show up in very different ways from a credential standpoint. Um, so that's an area where we, we find there, there's a ton that we need to do. The other piece that we discovered is um, around the interview process. You know, so the interview process is where we spend um, really the majority of our time with candidates. It's usually where we make the decision. And for many leaders, it represents the least structured part of the hiring process because they make up interviews as they go. And in many cases, they don't know what they're going to even ask a candidate as they're walking into that interview. Mm-hmm. So we really discovered that um, we have to slow down and be structured in the way that we interview. We need to be intentional. And ideally, we need to follow a, a rubric um, so that we're we're interviewing consistently. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what you're saying is just really practical, sensible stuff. It's about planning organizing, going in prepared, trying to make things as objective as possible and not relying on our kind of subjective biases. You know, as we as we coast through the day, we use our kind of system one thinking, don't we? Which is where we go with our intuition and our gut reactions rather than rather than think about things in a much more kind of objective fashion. It's absolutely right. And you know, we're if we have a brain, we have bias because as we all know, you know, we're, we're making so many decisions every single day. Our brain can only you know, consciously process a fraction of those decisions based on the pure amount of information that we're processing. So I think this idea of, um, you know, there, there, there's been somewhat of a reputation of bias as though it's this thing we can rid ourselves of. And the truth is we will just constantly make involuntary decisions. But it's your point, Toby, if we can slow down and be structured and, and thoughtful and intentional, it does mean that we're hopefully making decisions in a much more equitable way. Absolutely. So a lot of my clients talk to me about attracting and sourcing talent. So they say things like, uh, you know, we're, we're so focused on getting diversity in the organization, but the, the talent pool is just not very diverse. And it, it, it might be that they're operating in an in a industry where there perhaps is a bit of lack of diversity. So for example, a, a technology client might say that, you know, it's it's a very kind of male skewed industry uh, and there's not enough women to recruit. And it's kind of that limiting, I, I find a, a bit of a limiting mindset because I, I know for a fact that that talent is out there and it right. is available. Right. So, right. you know, how do you think that employers should rethink their kind of strategic or sustainable way to, to expand their diverse sourcing and particularly given the, the the limited amount of time and capacity that hiring managers are often facing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, the first piece is really to become holistic and um, and and intentional about how we are defining diversity, right? So, we would say first first and foremost, let's have that intentional conversation with our teams about the different underrepresented communities we can possibly source from and recruit and. Let's let's start there. That's foundational. Next, you know, it's it's to really get our full community at the organization involved in this process. You know, if we think about the collective network of everyone in our in our organization, in terms of their sourcing and their reach, their referrals, we already have you know a collective wider reach you know within within our existing community, and we just need to really activate that and create mutual ownership. 
And, you know, the third is that we we see that there are thousands at this point of community organizations, you know, networks that we can tap into, you know, workforce development agencies, um, membership organizations, you know, universities that we we can build reciprocal partnerships with. Mm. And these can become pipelines. Um, you know, if it, we, we, we it all really starts, though, with us you know, expanding how we look at what, what it means to be qualified for a job. You know, if we continue to just recruit from this homogenous pool where these requirements are so exorbitant that, you know, no one from a previous, you know, lived experience or underrepresented community could possibly qualify, we're, we're going to continue to have a very homogenous workforce, you know? Yeah. But if we're beginning to think about transferable skills and, ways that people can learn on the job and maybe have come from a, a you know, a, you know, somewhat of an unconventional background, but, but gain a lot of that professional experience in the job itself. That's when we start to see the ability to cast a much wider net. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. It reminded me of a time when I was working at the BBC and I was working with a hiring manager who needed to develop, uh, hire a, a software engineer. And we went through his job description, which by the way, was about six pages long to begin with. So way too long. And like everything you've said beforehand about having this kind of maybe fixed idea about who should be a suitable fit for that role. So, well, first thing was we had to reduce the job description down from like six pages to one page. But oh my goodness, yeah. At the top of his list, he was like, you know, I need somebody who's like a brilliant JavaScript developer. And um, I challenged him on that. And I said, you know, is that really what you're looking for? And after a bit of kind of toing and throwing, he said, you know, actually what I need is somebody who is a really quick learner because the technology is changing so quickly that what I need is somebody who can like learn new, new languages really fast. And so we actually changed the recruitment process to focus on somebody's propensity to learn. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it unlocked so much potential um, in our talent pipeline mm. at the time because we were we were now looking for somebody different. You know, we weren't looking for somebody who had, say, a more of a traditional background and experience in JavaScript, but we were looking for somebody's ability to to learn quickly and yeah. be agile and flexible and things like that. And that is exactly the way that we have to be thinking about this, which is, you know, hiring for potential mm. and hiring, you know, based on, you know, competencies that could have been learned through a multitude of avenues in the moment that we're to your point, Toby, you know, really cutting down what has oftentimes been this really unnecessary set of exorbitant requirements. Um, you know, it is our inclination to expand and add more. And every time we add more unnecessary things, we, we again, really restrict that pool. So I really loved your point about, you know, cutting, cutting down, you know, it's like less is more, right? And less is more equitable, honestly. Absolutely. So in your opinion, who, who has typically been driving the diversity and inclusion agenda in businesses? And how can we begin to engage more people and hiring managers in, in playing a critical role in, in hiring for diversity? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, this is part of what excites me right now. To date, this, this conversation in many organizations has been driven by the people team, the HR team. In some cases, you know, there had been dedicated heads of diversity. Um, but the biggest thing we see that has to happen and that we really tried to leave, you know, leave as the final call to action in our book was 
we have to have collective ownership and responsibility of increasing diversity, equity, inclusion across the organization. If this work continues to only be led and owned by one or two select people in an organization, it really won't be sustainable. And what we've seen happen, and and Toby, I know you work with many heads of diversity, is they will, they will oftentimes be asked by their broader organization, hey, you need to go figure this out for us. Go go improve our diversity. And you're not going to be given any resources, any support, any, any capacity. And it's a, it's a fairly impossible task because if we think about what, what really has to happen to improve our diversity, equity, inclusion, it is that we have to change our systems. We have to change the mindset of our teams and we have to change the behavior of our collective communities. And that is not something that any one individual by themselves can do. It really takes everyone. So the organizations that I get most excited about when we're working, right, it, you know, really are the ones that have said, we're in this together. It's a collective action. Um, it will take everyone's perspective. It won't happen overnight. And our people team and our DEI leaders are the catalysts, perhaps, for the collective ownership that will be across the organization. Yeah. And that is really where this work becomes a movement inside an organization is when we're all in it together. We all do it, you know, advance it together and, um, you know, it's sustainable. Fantastic. Yeah. I I kind of talk about the same thing in my book. Um, There's a whole chapter on collaboration and the, the kind of the key takeaway is that it's not just the HR department's responsibility for DNI. It's it's the whole organization from procurement to marketing to the people running your offices or the facilities management team, everybody at all levels and all, all departments need to be involved. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. And it becomes so much also more enjoyable when we're all in it together and it, it is a collective action. You know, yeah. I think it, this work shouldn't create stress and frustration, but sadly it has for many. And uh, that's, that's what really has to change. So the, the question that I ask everybody when they come on this podcast, and I, I can't let you off the hook on this one, is what does inclusive growth mean to you? Yeah, I love the question. You know, inclusive growth for me is constantly being open and, and you know, inquisitive and curious about um, gaining new perspectives and, and understanding other people's lived experiences and understanding other people's systemic barriers that they faced. And I think the more that we are, we as leaders are just constantly asking that question and and hearing different perspectives, I think we really gain empathy for the other challenges that that individuals have faced since the beginning. And I think that makes us uh, much more equipped to address those challenges in the way that we operate and the way that we lead. Brilliant. Now, um, obviously, I would highly recommend to the person listening to us right now that they go and get your book, Hiring for Diversity. But if they also want to learn more about the work that you do and uh, follow you and reach out to you for further support, what should they do? Yes, great question, Toby. So uh, we'll share a a link to our website, matheson.io, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N.io. We support organizations in their diversity recruiting, um, sourcing, reducing bias in their systems and measuring and tracking their progress. And we have some software that helps organizations so they can learn about that at matheson.io. And of course, they can find our book at hiringfordiversity.com and definitely encourage folks to join the community and join the conversation with us. Wonderful. Well, Arthur, thank you ever so much for joining me today. 
Thank you, Toby. Thank you for all the work that you lead. It's such an inspiration. You're welcome. You're welcome. And well, thanks back to you as well. And uh, yeah, the more people we can get working on this, the better. So um, thank you for joining me today. It's been, a, I've, really, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And, and thank you for, for tuning in to hear Arthur and I uh, talk and converse today. Hopefully, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed our conversation and taken away some interesting advice or, or things that you can do in your own business. So yeah, thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you on the, the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast, which will be coming up very soon. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk